so glad you could join us for mornings at YCBC today. We want to thank you for being a part of our online family and we hope that this message encourages you, blesses you and helps you grow in your walk with Him. So let's get into the Word. Mm, scripture declares that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Mm, so we believe that the Spirit is here in this place. We believe that the Spirit is there in your place where you're gathered this morning. And so I want to declare over you freedom to worship Him. I'm reminded of um, the passage of Scripture where uh, David um, had, uh, was leading a procession of the ark coming back, uh, coming into Jerusalem, into its rightful place to be uh, delivered into the temple. And uh, one of his wives, which is a whole other story, um, um, criticized him for uh, the way that he celebrated this moment and said, um, the king of Israel has uh, displayed himself without dignity, essentially, was what she was saying, uh, disgraced himself. Uh, and um, David said, uh, I will dance before the Lord with all my might. I will become even more undignified than this. Um, which is a challenge for us to think about what do we hold back when we worship? Is it because obviously legally we're not allowed to sing here this morning but do we let that uh, stop our worship in, in your homes because it's not in the church building? Do we let that stop our worship? What do we let stop us from worshipping? Um, so I'm just going to invite uh, Ali to sing the chorus of that song one more time. And it's okay to have that stuff that gets between you and worshipping God with freedom. But I want to suggest it's, it's, it's not okay, it's not a great thing to know about it and leave it there. Um, so whatever that is for you, whether it's a concern around dignity, whether it's uh, a concern around um, if you're in your home and you're allowed to sing, oh, people might hear me, well, just crank the TV up. Uh, perhaps... This morning's a moment for you to sing so loud that your neighbours either start lobbying government to get us back into the building or come to Jesus themselves. Um, but in serious, what I invite you to do as we sing this chorus one more time is just to, to bring whatever's between you and worshipping God in freedom to God, to the Spirit this morning to bring you into a new place of freedom in your worship. So thanks, Ali. We can sing that one more time. You are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. For from you are all things, and to you are all things. You deserve the glory. 
Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ali. Thanks, James, for leading us in, in worship this morning. Uh, encourage you to take a seat, have a stretch, uh, do what uh, you need to do to mentally prepare uh, for receiving from God's Word this morning as we come to that time. Um, a quick update, uh, if you haven't heard already, uh, about how we're gathering on Sunday morning. So for the next five Sundays, including today, uh, we're going to keep things as they are. There will be some changes in restrictions uh, during that period, but we want to give ourselves time to, to work that out, what that looks like for us, uh, give ourselves time to think as a church about what the new normal looks like. Uh, and uh, we also want to give ourselves time to get through school holidays, and uh, Carl's taking some leave at the moment. I'm about to take some leave when he gets back. So to get us to the other side of that, we're going to keep things as they are for the next five weeks. So what that means is we're uh, not the church fully gathered yet, we're continuing as the church clustered. Uh, so it means that we can have a few people here in the building. Uh, and I want to encourage you, uh, if you're a part of this church and you live locally, I know we've had some people connecting that uh, further afield, uh, but if you, if you live locally in the Yass area, I encourage you over uh, the next four weeks now to consider coming in for one of those Sundays. Uh, to be in this space. It's a blessing for those leading worship, even though we can't sing along here. Uh, it's a blessing for me as I share God's word. Um, and it's a blessing for all of us just to come together in this space. So I encourage you over the next four Sundays to think about one of those coming here in the building. Uh, there's a link uh, in our email bulletins and it's shared on Facebook that you can uh, click to book in. And so it might seem a bit odd to book into church, uh, to, to, to buy a free ticket is essentially what we're doing, but that helps us do two things, helps us make sure we don't exceed our numbers that we're allowed to have at the moment, also helps us keep track of who's in the building because we need to keep those records in case um, we become a hotspot of virus spread. We need to be able to tell the authorities uh, who was here. So I encourage you to think about that. The other thing that we're doing over these next five weeks or these five Sundays is encouraging you to gather together in homes. Uh, and so uh, encouraging you to invite people directly. But if you've got space for more and you're not sure who's out there that would love to come and join you, uh, let me know. Get in touch with us. Uh, anyway, really. Uh, or if you're someone that would really like to join with someone else but you haven't been invited and you're not sure where to go, get in touch with us. We want to help connect us together in clusters over the next five weeks. Um, in the meantime, I encourage you to really be praying for God's wisdom about the next steps and ultimately what the new normal will look like for us as a church on the other side of coronavirus. Um, there will come a day, I believe, where uh, we'll be unrestricted in our gathering and uh, as we're exploring during this series we're doing at the moment that uh, we don't necessarily want to rush back to the old we want to explore what's God leading us into for the new so I encourage you to be praying about that and we've also got a survey out uh, you can find the link on our Facebook page you can find the link in our email bulletins and I encourage you to take some time to prayerfully respond to the questions there it's not um, a multiple guess uh, survey it's a take some time to write an answer survey and over this next four weeks we really want your feedback your input um, to think about what's valuable for us as a church uh, as we move towards the new normal um, and that so um, I'm going to do the Bible reading myself this morning I've reserved that right uh, as, as pastor to do the reading myself this morning. So I encourage you to grab your Bibles, um, analogue or digital, and turn to Hebrews, which I'm flipping to and then I realise I've actually marked it. Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to read from verse 19 through to verse 25. So it's Hebrews chapter 10, 
verse 19 through to 25. Mm. So here the writer of Hebrews says to the church, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance of that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly, I like that word, unswervingly, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let me pray. Mm. Heavenly Father, we come to your word this morning. And we pray that we wouldn't come to it and go away unchanged. We pray that we wouldn't come to it and and not be shaped by your word this morning. And so I pray that in this moment, that you would tune out the distractions of the world, almost like those noise-cancelling headphones that tune everything else out. I pray that you would tune everything else out. The people around us, the noise of traffic, the the calendar, the uh, notifications, all of those things, Lord, I pray that you would tune them out this morning and that we would be deeply tuned into your word and your spirit in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. If you bear with me for one second, I just want to get my slide up on the screen. So last week we began a new series called Shaping the new normal. And, and so we, we, we were exploring during this series what should the new normal look like. We don't want to necessarily just uh, rush back to the old as, as we kind of are exploring what church looks like as restrictions are being lifted. We're, we're thinking about what should the new normal look like. My click is broken. I'm going to have to change technology. And so that's the question of this series. What should the new normal look like? Uh, there's two key things that I introduced last week that I want to quickly and briefly recap on this morning. And, and the first idea comes from Isaiah chapter 43, where, where the prophet, speaking the words of God, says, Don't dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. And so in this season, I, I want to encourage us as a church not to dwell on the past. I'm not saying the past was bad. God's done wonderful things in the life of our church. God has grown us, he's shaped us, he's, he's uh, uh, filled us with his spirit, he's, he's done marvellous things in the life of our church. I'm not saying the old is bad. Just as the old wasn't all bad for Israel, there wasn't all rosy either as we explored last week, but, but it wasn't all bad. There was great moments, there was the exodus, God moving in power, but, but he encouraged his people to not dwell on that past, but to look forward to the new. And so I believe that's a word for us in this season, is to just look to the past as restrictions lift, to not just go, okay, let's get back to where we were. There'll be much of what we used to do that we will get to get back to, in a sense, but we want to look forward, not back. We want to look to what God's doing in this season, not the old thing. 
And the other piece of scripture that we looked at last week that I want to remind us of, and this is actually a metaphor for this whole series. Uh, it's from Isaiah chapter 64, verse 8, and there's other parts of uh, the scriptures where, where this uh, metaphor comes up, and, and it's that of God being the potter and we being the clay. And so the idea of that metaphor is that, that we are shaped by him and not the other way around. So the opposite of this metaphor is, is building an idol. It's building a God in the shape that we want him to be. Shaping a God in the image of, of what we would like and think a God should be, but, but we're appointed by this prophetic word, and I think it's so important for this season, that, that we are to be the clay in God's hands, that we are to be shaped by him. And as, as I looked at last week from Jeremiah, it's not just a shaping, it's a reshaping, because we already have a shape. And so this season, I believe that God's not just shaping us, he's reshaping us. If we allow him to shape us as individuals and reshape us as the church, uh, we can take a new, more God-designed shape. It's an opportunity to do that. Um, my wife uh, is reading a book in a book club. I can't remember the title of the book, but after last week's sermon, she uh, read this passage to me. I think it's called something like, it's not meant to be this way, but um, it was a passage about uh, what, what um, potters do. It's clay, and apparently there's something called grog, not the kind of grog you buy at that shop next to Woolworths. <laughs> uh, as someone I've seen online would say, check your heart if that's where you're going to. Check your attitudes about me. Um, now, grog in pottery is broken up bits of old broken, up, broken clay. And so, you know, if it's clay that's been fired, uh, that's been smashed and broken up. And so this book uh, in this passage talked about how a potter will take some of what the, the old broken up busted clay, uh, take some of that and mix it in with new clay as they mould it. And what that does, and I did um, a quick Wikipedia research to make sure that was right, um, it prevents the new piece from shrinking and cracking when it's been fired. And so the metaphor here with the potter and the clay is, is that we're not talking about throwing out the baby with the bathwater. We're not, we're not talking about getting rid of everything that we used to do. Much of that will come and form part of the new, and in fact it will prevent the new thing from cracking, from shrinking, from falling apart under the pressure um, of the furnace. And, and so uh, for those who are kind of thinking that we're, we're, we're sweeping aside everything that we used to be about as a church, uh, that's not the case. We're, we're pausing for this moment to think about what might the new look like? What can we bring from the old to add strength to the new? And so through this series, we're going to be exploring a fair breadth of life, faith, and, and the church. It's, it's going to jump from one thing to the next. But, but today, I wanted to take some time to think about how we gather as a church, the place of gathering for the church. And see, I think it's a perfect time to do that because I don't know when we're fully going to be able to gather again. It might be in five weeks' time. It, it might not be for months. I see in Victoria, they've had to uh, reduce the size of back down to 10 because of some increase of the virus spread there. So I don't know when we're going to be able to fully gather again. I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know how we're going to do it. And so I do believe it's the perfect time to think about what's the place of gathering for the church because there's no status quo, so to speak, to lock us in. We don't have to 
think about, well, how do we change it? It's, it's not really there in a sense in some ways. And I believe that God is using this time to reshape us and refocus us on the idea of what it means to gather as the church. But first I want to ask the question, and uh, I thought of this yesterday as I was pondering this message, the question of why not just read the book? Like, why not just read the Bible? You know, it's, it's the manual. What, why gather it all? Why not just read the book and live out a private and personal faith? Why not? Why gather it all? Because uh, after all, that's, it's true, isn't it? The book says that we're not saved by going to church. It says pretty clearly in Paul's letters that we're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, Peter says in Acts that salvation is found in no, no other name than Jesus. It's not found in going to church. And so why do it? Uh, I've actually um, been reading this book. I don't know if you can see it far enough. Um, but it's called Managing Leadership Anxiety. And so um, this book's been part of uh, God remoulding me as a leader during this time. Uh, and it's been a great book um, to read. And there's so much in it I've been working through in this inner life. And then it gets to this part of the book where it says, the real value isn't in just reading this and, and thinking about it internally. It's working these things out in relationship with others bringing others in on this journey and inviting them in and talking about you know, your strengths and weaknesses with them. And, and at that point, it got a little bit less easy. I was great while it was just about reading the book. When I actually have to do something about it, when it, when it involves other people, that's a little bit of a challenge. And, and so the reality is we sometimes treat the Bible like that. We just think, well, I'll just read the book. I'll, I'll have my, my own private and personal faith. I don't really need to gather with other people. Yet the reality is all through the book, all through the scriptures, faith is never imagined as only a private and personal thing. Never, ever. Yes, salvation for an individual comes from a personal decision to put the trust in but the working out of that faith is never imagined as anything other than something that gets lived out in the life of community. The life of Israel was shaped around gathering for worship, for sacrifice, for festivals. The temple was the center of Jewish life. Yes, they, they, they didn't always get it right. They messed up uh, in so many ways as we do. But, but the idea was it was meant to be lived out communally, a gathered people for worship. And so Jesus ushered in a new normal, a new covenant, a new means of salvation. They had to write a new testament to capture the, 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 the newness that Jesus brought. But then in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, this newness that Jesus is talk, talks about, he says this. Let 
You must have spilt coffee on this page. It's not coming up for me. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Jesus speaking to Peter after Peter has had to reveal to him by the Holy Spirit that, that Jesus is the Messiah. And he says to Peter in verse 18, And I tell you that you are Peter, because his name was actually Simon. Peter means rock. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. He says to Peter, On this rock I will build my what? Not personal, private faith, but church. And so the, the word that... Uh, Matthew originally used when he wrote this was ecclesia or ecclesia, depending on how you like to emphasize your, your Greek. There's probably a right way, but I don't know it. But the word was ecclesia, which literally means assembly, congregation, gathering of people. And so, yes, the New Testament fills out the idea of what the church is. The church is spoken of as the body of Christ, as the bride of Christ. Uh, the church is spoken of as local groups and, and as the entire universal uh, collective of those that believe in Jesus. The, the New Testament fills out the idea of what church means so much more than just a local gathering of people, but it's not less than that. Inherent in the meaning of the word for church that the New Testament uses is the idea of gathering. And this was there from the very beginning in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42 and 40 to 47, we're told that uh, they devoted themselves to the apostles. This is the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to, the, and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, Prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so from the very beginning of the church, and so many people um, <clears throat> say that the day of Pentecost is the birthday of the church. Uh, it's the day that the church was born. Um, you could debate that, but, but in, assess, in essence, this is the very embryonic moment of church. And one of the things we're told they do, and there's much to talk there about justice and social welfare of the church, but one of the things they anchored to was meeting together. They met together in the temple courts. That was a place that they could gather in large numbers. <clears throat> and they met together in homes for breaking of bread and, and fellowship. Gathering every day, we're told. And the Lord added to their number daily. We send to gather weekly. Be greater the Lord added to our number weekly. I wonder what it would look like if you gathered daily, but that's not where I'm going with the new normal, if you're panicking right now. <laughs> Very early on, uh, Sunday became the primary day of gathering for the Church of Jesus. Uh, it was a day that they could celebrate the resurrection. Uh, it wasn't typically a day off. Saturday was the Sabbath. That was the day off. So often they gathered quite early before work and, and, and gathered to worship Jesus on Sunday. But very early on, 
day was the day in which the church gathered. Uh, but a few decades later, the writer of Hebrews uh, speaks or writes to the church and, and it seems that, that this early enthusiasm for gathering is, is starting to uh, wane for at least parts of the church and we must understand they've been persecuted, they've been pressure, it's not a, a socially advancing thing to be a part of the church. Um, when we're told in verse, um, I'll read from verse 23, uh, the writer of Hebrews says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. And so there is a temptation to devalue the gathering of the church. Especially, I would say, in our culture that emphasises the I over the we. It's in part a, a byproduct of the, of the great reformation of the church where individual salvation was, was re-emphasised. We, we in, in essence, over hundreds of years of exploring that, have lost the sense of we. And, and so the danger in our I culture is that we lose the we and that we fall into the trap that the writer of the Hebrews to the Hebrews was speaking about, that we, that we fall into the habit of not meeting together and, and that we lose this sense of gathering for encouragement for one another. And I want to say into this, this is not a criticism for us. I have been so blessed and encouraged by the effort that the church has gone to to stay gathering when we can't physically gather. It's been a real encouragement for me as a pastor and for the other leaders of the church to see how many of us have, have uh, consistently and continually engaged in worship on a Sunday morning. And, and so this is not a criticism, this is not a rebuke that's coming out of a place of, well, we've given up gathering together, so it's time for a rebuke. I, I do, though, I just want to take this opportunity to remind us as we start to head back to normal, as, as other things start to compete with gathering, to not fall into this trap, to not embrace the habit of neglecting the gathering of the church. And so what does this mean for us as a church in the new normal? What does the new normal look like? And as I've said, I, I don't have a rock-solid, concrete picture of that, but, but what I am clear about is that the new normal for us looks like renewed value for the church gathered. The new normal may be one in which our gatherings are reshaped, but the new normal is not one in which the gathering of the church is less important. The temptation is real to allow it to become such. My appeal is do not give up meeting together. What is gathering all about? <clears throat> gathering is not about ticking a religious box. Pardon me. Uh, the Old Testament spoke of such gatherings where Pardon me. The Old Testament spoke of such gatherings where uh, God's people gathered to merely tick the box. They fulfilled the sacrifices, they, they attended the, the, the worship that they were meant to, um, 
the phrase used in the scripture of this kind of worship was, they honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And, and so the scriptures in Amos, it actually says that, that this kind of gathering is a stench to God. And so, yes, I, I feel we need to prioritise the importance of the church gathered, but, but we can't just gather to tick the box. That's getting it around the wrong way. See, gathering isn't about ticking a religious box to, to think, think that God might be happy with you. Gathering is about coming together to worship. It's about coming together for teaching. It's about coming together for prayer. It's about coming together for fellowship. It's about coming together for encouragement. And it's about coming together as a testimony um, to non-believers. That was cool, wasn't it, for those watching at home? participating it's about a testimony to non-believers as well and and so sometimes we fall into the trap of of trying to be available instead of gathering with the church but actually i think if we prioritize gathering uh, as the church then it sets as a priority for non-believers that that's a priority for us that they might want to look into again i'm not talking about religiosity here i'm talking about priorities uh, proverbs 17 uh, sorry, Proverbs 27:17 uh, gives us, uh, I think, a, a metaphor of, of what I think the, the, the focus of gathering on the church needs to be about in the new normal. Um, this isn't written specifically about churches, it's about human interaction, but, but I, think I take it as a metaphor for the church. It says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Just as God shapes us like a potter, we also shape one another as we interact together as the church. And it's actually, I think, one of the key ways that God shapes us is through one another. Um, I don't know what uh, they were thinking of exactly when they were talking about iron sharpening iron. Uh, in those days, they might have been talking about like an, an iron anvil um, hammering out a sword or something like that. But, but even today we use one piece of iron uh, or steel to sharpen another piece of iron or steel. And so it's actually, I can't sharpen this knife, this piece of iron, with this piece of iron if they're not gathered together. A unless they're connecting and interacting with one another. If Aaron's participating this morning, he'll probably tell me that my sharpening technique is horrible. Um, so we'll put those away. But so for iron to sharpen iron, they need to come together. They need to interact with one another. Sometimes may even be sparks. It's not always kind of smooth and fun and easy. Church and gathering is the church. Have rough edges that we polish off and one another. We gather that God might use each other to shape us. We gather that God might use us to shape others. Sometimes we can rub people the wrong way. You know, it's possible for iron to blunten iron. So we need to be making sure that we're sharpening one another and not blunting one another. And, and that's what can happen as well in churches, that we can, we can blunt each other's faith if we kind of rub it the wrong way, if we 
tone each other down instead of stirring each other up. And, and, and so the idea of our gathering, the metaphor I want us to grab this morning when we think about what it means to gather as the church is that my role is to come together with you that you might be sharpened. That your role is to come together with me that my faith might be sharpened. And so as we think about a new normal for Yas Community Baptist Church, uh, to get into some idea of that, as I said, I don't have a concrete idea, but I do believe that God wants to refocus and reshape the way that we gather. Uh, and so what I, I want to share now is more of a wet clay versus a fired clay version. What we had before was something that was fired in clay. It was fairly set. We, we kind of did the same things week in, week out. There might have been a new scripture or a new song, but, but it was kind of a, a fired clay version of church. Anything that we added to that was kind of stuck on rather than a complete remoulding. And, and so actually I think that's part of what God is doing in this season is taking us from that fired clay locked in version to a wet clay version of what church looks like that we're malleable and mouldable. And so what I'm about to share now isn't a concrete fired clay thing but I think it's what God has put on my heart for us going forward as a church in the way that we gather. Again, we're not throwing out the baby with the bathwater. We're going to take the grog of the old and mix it with the new clay to add strength and resilience to it. And so in Acts, uh, that passage that I looked at before, sorry, my proper clicker's not working. We're told in Acts chapter 2, 46 and 47... Uh, that every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Uh, and so this is descriptive. It's not necessarily proscriptive. It's not necessarily telling us the way that we have to gather. But, but there's two kind of core ways that the church gathered. They gathered in what would have been a large group, up to thousands, even very early on here in the temple courts. Uh, the temple was an enormous complex, uh, not just the temple itself, but, but the courtyards uh, around it were enormous. And so there was space for large numbers of people to gather. And we can envisage there that, that they gathered, they celebrated their new faith in Jesus, that the apostles taught them. But they also gathered in homes. And, and homes were somewhat more humble than what we have in Australia today for most of us. And, and so we can consider them to be quite small, intimate gatherings. So they gathered in large groups. They gathered in small groups, and I'm sure they gathered in lots of different uh, styles of groups in between. And so we can picture the, the temple courts gathering as one of worship and teaching. We can picture the gathering in homes of, of been more about fellowship, intimacy, and the breaking of bread or eating together. And so our Sunday worship gatherings are an opportunity for us to gather together for worship, for celebration, for teaching, for, for some fellowship... But as we've grown larger as a church, the more intimate nature of that gets less and less, necessarily. It remains an opportunity for, for teaching, for, for collective worship, but it becomes less about that, that small gathering for fellowship, for intimacy, for breaking of bread, so to speak. Not that we can't have church lunch again. Don't fear, I'm not saying that. There will come a day, my stomach believes it in faith, potluck will happen again one day. I'm not saying we can't have large meals, uh, 
We can't do Thanksgiving dinner. Let's all pray that there's some significant change before November so we can do that again. Uh, that would be a shame to miss that. But what I'm saying is, as we've grown as a church, we've shifted from a space where we can kind of put all of that in on a Sunday morning and expect it to fulfill everything. And so sometimes I think what might happen for some of us, uh, if we want to expect all of the intimacy and deep fellowship and and sharing together to happen on a Sunday morning, we're going to leave disappointed. And so every individual believer, when they went up to the temple courts for that moment of worship and teaching, they weren't necessarily going to get to interact with every other person there and have a deep and meaningful. But they also gathered together in homes. And so uh, just on our Sunday morning gatherings, I'm not saying that they're they're less valuable now. Uh, We're going to continue online, hopefully. We're still working that out. Um, But I hope we see that as a an addition to rather than a replacement of, especially for those that live locally and can gather. But what I am saying is I think that God's providing us an opportunity to shift gears a little bit, to not expect the Sunday morning gathering to be everything, but also to prioritise what we call life groups, that, that smaller intimate gathering. So this is the place of deeper intimacy and fellowship. This is the real place where the rubbing together, the iron sharpening iron. I've got no idea how the microphone's picking that up. That could be a horrible experience perhaps for those at home and I apologise. But our life groups are the real place where, where intimacy, where fellowship, where breaking of bread, where care for one another, uh, where ministry to one another, that's the real place where there's an opportunity for that to flourish, to happen for words of encouragement, for testimonies to be shared, for, for, for all of the beauty of intimate life together as followers of Jesus. And so this might seem like, well, what are you talking about, Nick? We've, we've, we've got Sunday morning, we've got life groups, we've had that for a long time. What I think is coming for us as a church is a shift from a church with a Sunday gathering and a few life groups towards being a church of life groups that gathers for worship and teaching on Sundays. Let me say that again so we can grab it. What I believe that God is remoulding in us in a church is a shift from being a church that primarily gathers on a Sunday and has a few life groups for the extra keen people to being a church of life groups that gathers for worship and teaching on a Sunday. And so what I think that will do is enable us to continue to grow as a church, to not try and restrict that Sunday morning gathering to something that that is, is trying to do all of the things that a life group could do and all of the things that a Sunday worship could do but to to kind of free it up to be the large worship gathering, large in context. Uh, Because I think we're really at this tipping point of a size where we're still kind of close enough to to where we can kind of do this thing, where where we all know each other, we're all intimate with each other. But I think we're at that tipping point where to, to continue to grow, we need to free that up a bit and to and to plug in to life groups. And so here's my hope as the pastor of the church, for each of us around our gathering. 
Uh, it's that we be engaged as part of a life group that meets regularly. That might be fortnightly, that might be weekly. For some, that might be monthly. Uh, we've had some success in this season with online options. And, and so uh, as, a, as a church family, I want to invest into how we can gather together in those more intimate groups that we call life groups. So my hope is that we can all be engaged as much as possible in a life group that meets regularly for true fellowship and that we can prioritise the gathering with the church for worship on a Sunday. I think if we can embrace that, then much else will follow. Some of us might be hearing right now, oh, I have to do more stuff. My testimony of life groups is I've never ever felt like having an extra time together. I've never ever felt like, oh, you know what would be really good? If I went out an extra night a week or, or got up early and, and had an early morning group or, or made time. I've never really felt like that's what I want to do, partly because I'm introverted, partly because um, I have a fairly busy schedule as it is. But I have never regretted being a part of a life group. At the moment, I'm, I'm uh, leading a Wednesday night online life group. Our worship team can come up and start playing me off. Um, <laughs> I'm leading an online uh, Wednesday night life group that's open. You're welcome to join. Often on a Wednesday afternoon, I think, oh, it'd be great if I just... Uh, apologies to those who join me online. It'd be great if I just, you know, could sit on the couch and watch TV tonight and veg out. I never regret that opportunity. Uh, in some sense, the online, the Zoom, there's so much lacking in that capacity to connect fully as we can in person, but I never regret it. Uh, for those of you who are thinking, oh, more stuff to do, I want to encourage you to take the plunge. Get connected. Create even a small group. Life group's just a name. We call them that because it's about doing life together, shifting the concept from just Bible study to a sharing of life. I want to encourage you to take the plunge. Yeah, I want you to prioritise worshipping together with the whole church on a Sunday morning through whatever means we have at disposal at the time. But, but really, life groups is where it's at in terms of fellowship, intimacy, iron sharpening iron. So that's my wet clay idea I've only had two responses to the survey yet so if you're raging against that wet clay idea then you've got opportunity for feedback <laughs> through that survey but I really believe that's where God's leading us to be a church of life groups that gathers for worship on a Sunday Heavenly Father I pray that whatever, in whatever way we gather as a church that you would mould us that you would shape us as individuals but not just as individuals but as a community I pray that as we meet together in whatever capacity 
whether it's a Sunday morning, whether it's an in-person life group, whether it's an online life group, in whatever capacity that we gather, I pray that we would sharpen one another, that our faith would be refined and equipped and encouraged and built up and not blunted. I pray that you would continue to grow this church. That monthly, weekly, and even perhaps daily, Lord, we cry out that you would add to the number of those who are being saved. And we pray that not only for this church, but we pray for all of the churches across the Yass Valley and across our nation. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Ali's going to lead us in a song now that we have had sung before at church, but we haven't so much done it as a uh, collective worship song. Um, But it speaks about the new that can come out of the pressure and pressing, the the new wine. Um, So feel free to sing along. Unless you're in the building, you are not free to sing along. Um, You are free to dance and uh, rejoice in the spirit. Um, But feel free to sing along at home or feel free just to take this as a moment of soaking and reflection on, on what new God might be bringing out of this season in your life. Thanks for joining us today. As you head back into your week, we want to encourage you to stay in His Word, stay in His love, and stay strong in your faith. Don't forget to keep up to date with what's happening via Facebook, Instagram, or via our website at ycbc.church. See you soon.